Modern catheter-based technologies using endovascular grafting have made treatment for aortic aneurysms less invasive than prior surgical options. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Robert Beasley, Director of Vascular and Interventional Radiology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach, Florida. Welcome, Dr. Beasley. Thanks for having me, Mark. Today we are discussing endovascular grafts as a treatment for aortic aneurysms. Dr. Beasley, years ago, the major treatment for aortic aneurysms was an open technique. What changed? The development of the endovascular grafts was a major development that allowed us to percutaneously, through small incisions in the groin, repair these aneurysms without having to open up the patient, either transabdominally or retroperitoneally. This approach was developed in the early 90s to mid-90s in Europe and South America, and then clinical trials were initiated in the mid to late 90s in the United States, and the grass became commercially available around 2000 to 2001. What exactly is an endovascular graft? Uh, an endovascular graft is a tube that can have either with several limbs, two limbs, or one limb, depending upon the uh, iliac arteries, which are then seated down into the iliac arteries, the limbs are, and it isolates the flow of blood from around the iliac arteries and consequently into the aneurysm sac. The upper portion of the endograft uh, is the neck, superior neck of the graft, which is deployed immediately under the renal arteries. And to get a, a nice fit there, you need to uh, you know, have a graft that has good radial strength and will prevent the flow of blood around the endograft into the aneurysm sac. Now, I'm sure many physicians are thinking, how do you get a graft like that through an angiographic procedure? You're using catheters and delivery devices, which are quite large. So in order to do this procedure, you can't do it really uh, completely percutaneously. You have to do at least a cut down on one side. There are some places that are doing it completely percutaneously on a few of the devices that are available, but you have to really be careful about delayed complications. So at least one side, I believe, is the way most places are going for a small cut down with a small arteriotomy to be followed by the introduction of the graft uh, through this uh, delivery catheter. And then the uh, contralateral limb or the secondary side sometimes can be closed with a closure device. Why do you have to approach both sides? Most all folks have patent iliac arteries. And uh, in order to uh, get the limbs of the endograft to be uh, properly implanted into the iliac arteries, you must have both sides uh, accessed. Now, how do you keep this graft from migrating? The migration is a problem in some grafts, others not quite uh, such a problem. You need to have a very nice neck to the aneurysm. The aneurysm should have a neck at least 12 to 15 millimeters in length in order to properly place the graft so that the chance of migration is low. Also, you need to anchor the graft into your common iliac arteries appropriately if you don't have a graft that sits on the bifurcation. Uh, there are some grafts available that actually will sit 
on the bifurcation, thereby almost entirely eliminating the chance of migration. How do you anchor those graphs that you need to do so? You anchor them by the extension prostheses that comes with the graft. Uh, you'll maybe put one or two extension prostheses to extend the limb of the graft all the way down to the external internal iliac bifurcation. That'll give you a really nice support system in addition to the superior uh, attachment site of the graft uh, at the level of the renal arteries. Once you set this in place, can you move it? Once it's set in place, it's very difficult to move because you don't want to have migration. So once you've basically placed it there, it's very difficult to move. You might be able to pull it down a millimeter or two if you're too high up uh, in relation to the renal arteries, but it's, it's a very difficult situation to do. So you need to be able to precisely place this just below the level of the renal arteries. And how long does this procedure take and what type of anesthesia do you use? Most folks use general anesthesia. There are some places that will use a spinal anesthesia approach, and it usually takes uh, anywhere from an hour to two hours. And how long do these stay patent, at least in your experience? Pretty good long-term patency. I haven't seen any of our graphs close down completely. There have been a few occasions early on in the early times of doing this that we didn't place a stent in the one of the limbs that we should have and the single limb may go down. If that's the case, then you have to you know, go in and do an embolectomy or you have to use a, uh, some sort of thrombolytic agent to open it up. But usually the patency is very good. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Robert Beasley, director of vascular and interventional radiology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach, Florida. Today we are discussing endovascular graft treatment for aortic aneurysms. Dr. Beasley, if someone has a leaking aneurysm or an expanding aneurysm, or a nearly ruptured aneurysm. Is this technique applicable? Not usually. There are some institutions that have specially uh, developed grafts or altered some of the commercially available grafts to treat uh, patients in an emergency, but almost exclusively if a patient presents with a rupturing aneurysm, they should be opened up and repaired via the open approach. Well, let's talk about a patient that comes in and on examination, let's say they feel a pulsatile mass and appropriate tests are done and you see an aneurysm of a size that you want to do something about it. How does a physician choose whether to approach this as an open aneurysmectomy or the interventional technique that you've been describing? I think in an otherwise healthy individual who, say, is in his 50s or 60s, and has an aneurysm, and maybe you've had a relative such as a mother or brother who had an aneurysm, specifically maybe that ruptured, or a patient that uh, you know has uh, high blood pressure or, or was a smoker, uh, otherwise healthy person though, the patient may be a candidate then for an open repair. These open repairs have gotten, I think, easier to do, and there have been techniques developed by surgeons such as the retroperitoneal approach, which has a um, recovery period uh, much shorter than the previous uh, transabdominal uh, approach. That being said, if a patient is of an older age, such as, you know, 70s to 80s, not a great surgical risk, then at least this patient now has 
a chance to treat an aneurysm, which may or may not kill them, may or may not be the thing that ends their life, but at least they have an option to be treated uh, in a way that significantly lowers the risk of morbidity and mortality, especially when you look at the respiratory complications that occur from you know, having a transabdominal or a, an approach, even a retroperitoneal approach, or some of the other complications that could occur with longer-term hospitalizations. In a routine aneurysmectomy of the aorta, a tube graft is placed within the aneurysm itself. Why is your placing an endovascular graft any different than what is done surgically? It's not a lot differently. I mean, the only thing, and I'm not a surgeon, so I can't speak to the details of this, but the only other thing I know that the surgeons do sometimes, or maybe all the time, Mark, you can help me with this, is that you routinely, after you place your graft, sometimes you go in and over-sew the aneurysm sac to give it a little more stability. Uh, we don't have that ability to over-sew and maybe make it a little more stable than during the open approach. But what I'm asking, and that is correct, that that's commonly done, why wouldn't the endovascular graft in of itself be just as good for an uncomplicated aneurysm? For an uncomplicated aneurysm, it probably would. I think we're getting some of the long-term data, too, that shows that it, it probably is. There are some companies that have 11-, 12-year data right now, which shows the degree of migration, the uh, amount of ruptures are probably comparable to an open approach with the you know, problems associated with them, such as pseudoaneurysms, which you don't have with the uh, endovascular approach. And what if they have concomitant iliac aneurysms as well? You can certainly treat those with the prosthetic limbs. You are limited to treating patients, however, that have significant calcification or significant plaque in the iliacs. If you have small iliac arteries, for example, 6 millimeters, 7 millimeters or less, there's access problems as far as getting the graft uh, into place, although you can place a conduit to the common iliac and then advance the apparatus up that way. Uh, it presents a little more of a problem. And what about concomitant renal artery disease? Concomitant renal artery disease, I would think you have to worry about the amount of dye you give these folks. If you've got patients that have renal insufficiencies or problems like that, then you may want to uh, explain to them the increased risk of nephrotoxicity, having to place this graft using a contrast. And if you have concomitant renal artery stenosis, we do not treat the renal artery stenosis prior to placing the graft uh, because of the risk of uh, having the graft hang up on stents. So we wait until after we place the graft, and then we come back and uh, stent the renal arteries. Now, when we do an open aneurysmectomy, we usually evaluate the coronary arteries prior because many of these patients have coronary disease. Do you do that prior as well when you are planning an endovascular graft? Yeah, we almost always do. We do with at least a thallium scan to evaluate the heart for myocardial ischemia. And if uh, the patient is cleared either by the internist or cardiologist in that regard, then we'll proceed. But we will not do these aneurysms on patients until they have been cleared. And when you do this procedure with endovascular grafting, how long does the patient usually stay in the hospital? Two to three days on the norm. We've had patients that go home the next day, but you know, usually two to three days. And what kind of complications have you had? Growing complications, hematomas, very rarely growing infections. Usually those are the major complications. Dr. Beasley, if you would look into your crystal ball, in the future, are generally most of the aneurysms going to be treated by this technique? I would say with the development of the larger cuffs and the suprarenal fixation devices and some of the newer models that we'll 
probably be able to treat 70 to maybe 80% of all the aneurysms with these grafts. There'll still be about 20% of aneurysms that are going to require an open approach. And then down the road even further with uh, some of the grafts that they're developing that have associated uh, stents, almost you could make the graft and taper it for the uh, individual. You could have uh, little openings or little stents that are inserted into the renal arteries or even into the superior mesenteric arteries to treat even a suprarenal aneurysm. I want to thank Dr. Robert Beasley, who has been our guest. We have been discussing endovascular graft treatment for aortic aneurysms. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.